we have a, uh, a special guest host today, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit about, what, investment today, right? We're going to talk about some investing. Mm-hmm. We'll money. talk about money. We'll talk about sports. Sure. Because you're a big sports a sports guy. Well, mostly from an investment standpoint. So that uh, yeah, that'll, that'll that'll fit in real real well. It will, yeah. So uh, you're Mike Gelfand. Well, we're gonna just go around. This is what we do. First, I say, here we have uh, our special guest host, and uh, and my name is Josh Arnold, Mister Money Talk. And uh, my name is uh, Mike Gelfand, Mister Money and Loss. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a real that's that's tough. We can. Help turn that around. Oh, I hope so. And I can see Andy Bernard, Andy through, the, Bernard. through the glass. Yeah. Money neutral. Money neutral. That's that's the best point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're going we're going Keep to help uh, Andy accumulate some money over time just by putting away a little bit. Well, you know, and, and I uh, I actually was a very good, always have been a good investor because I don't do it myself for the most part. I mean, for years I bought stocks and you couldn't lose. You know. Yeah, and people would say, "Oh my God, I'm killing it in the stock market," you know, and and I'd have to say, "Look, everybody's killing it in the stock market, but someday they won't be, right?" Yeah, there's certain periods where you buy basically any stock and you're almost guaranteed to make money. Yeah, and I, I mostly dabbled in things like value funds, you know, where I I got a little bit of a juice on the deal. I got my, you know, or I, I, when I started out investing, uh, Josh, uh, I think that uh, you probably probably would you might scoff at it but i just bought utilities no i don't scoff i don't scoff at anything you know but that's i'm getting my you know i'm getting my three and a half four percent and the price of the utilities are going up and i wasn't taking any real chances so but i never made a killing either the idea is not to make a killing and very few people do make a killing unless they're the owner and or a founder of a company yeah Mm -hmm. well like like Uh, warren buffett always said you got to get rich slowly well, Warren, Warren Buffett, at, what is he, 90, 94 years old, has had a very, very good, uh-huh. long, long-term track record. And he shows the value of compounding over, over a period of time. He's definitely been compounding, yeah. I, I don't like him personally because he bought Dairy Queen and then started closing them all. So, like, around my house... Dairy Queen is not something you should even mention. It just makes me very irritated. Well, I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. I happen to have be a shareholder, as as are many of my clients in Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, of course, everybody owned Berkshire Hathaway in the day back when it was like what a mere like twenty four hundred dollars for a share. Well, that is that is true, and well, now it's several hundred thousand dollars a share for the A shares. So most people are buy the B the shares, B's. and then you can basically just, just put as much money as you want to in it, right? And the B shares are non non voting shares. You can put as much money in at you know with the shares trading about three hundred and twenty six dollars a share, and but, they will mm-hmm. they act move up the same way as the A shares. But the problem, uh, the problem there is, if I if I buy a B share, I won't be able to vote, and therefore I won't be able to influence the uh, the, the way the company is operated. Well, <laughs> I, I'm yeah. not sure even the the number of people who have A shares mm. who do vote yeah. really care how the company is operated mm. because Warren Buffett is at the helm, and he is uh, one not of the best longer, capital though. capital allocators around. He does have a succession plan, mm. and I think the people that he has chosen 
as his successors mm -hmm. have also shown their uh, prowess and expertise running different uh, divisions of, of Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, you have yeah. uh, within that bit, the, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, you have the division that owns all the private enterprises like uh, Dairy, Dairy Queen and Adina Realty uh, and Borgstrand's uh, Jewelers and uh, a Furniture Mart uh, that's, uh, that's in Omaha. Uh, do you have another division that owns uh, his utility company and, and another division that owns his in insurance company? And then you have the railroad, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, that they own. And then there's the equity division. He's into owns, coal owns also, isn't he? Excuse me? He's into coal. Well, he's in, into coal. Um, we'll say in both, I'd say indirectly more, more than anything else. Maybe mm -hmm. indirectly. Well, I'll say indirectly through uh, the ownership in his uh, utilities and power plants mm -hmm. and also moving coal uh, through the ownership of Burlington Northern uh, oh, Railway. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's not um, he's not exactly a green investor. He just anything that can make him money, he's he's into. Well, uh, I'm not you know green is good, making money is good, and you mm -hmm. definitely need uh, sources of energy and power, and the demand for power uh, continues to to go up. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, utilities are still. Still in the United States, they're still operating. Well, they're utilities, uh, on, right? I mean, they're, they're utilities. still operating in using coal. They operate using natural gas. They operate using mm -hmm. uh, nuclear power. They operate using uh, wind and and solar. And there's some that operate using uh, water. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about utilities, I am not a utility investor, uh, but utilities have a built-in. Uh, increase because they're allowed to increase their their prices about 10 percent right per they, year they go before commissions that never turn them down so <laughs> that's that's not a that's not a bad deal no and utilities are considered uh, safe investments they do as you say pay a nice yield somewhere between three to four percent yeah um, their value will fluctuate based on changes in interest rates. Right. So as interest rates have been moving up, utility values have have come down. As utility as interest rates sure. come down, utility values move move up. You, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, that, and it's a good thing, of course, that uh, Buffett has a succession plan. But it's funny because Diane Feinstein and Mitch McConnell don't have one. So hmm. I think maybe everybody should have one. Well, you definitely have. In, in the investment business, you do, do need, by law, uh, a succession plan. Well, if only we could invest in Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein, we'd, uh, that probably the, they would have a much better succession plan. Well, the, the succession plan that they, they have is, is the, uh, we'll say, the voters, the voters in their in their state, and for yeah. some reason, the people in California continue to vote for Dianne Feinstein, and uh, the people in uh, Kentucky continue to vote for Mitch McConnell. Yeah, uh, it's hard to be brand so, familiarity. <laughs> well, yeah, because the only people who can invest in senators are lobbyists. Mm -hmm. Most of us can't. Why don't we just become lobbyists? Well, you know, well, it's, I, it's I just like not that, that the easy. Name, name recognition is pretty good, and all of a sudden, you talk about name recognition, and I think of uh, an Eddie Murphy movie. Mm -hmm. 
where he wins an election. Uh, oh, yeah. My name is Johnson. Mm-hmm. Johnson. <laughs> and oh, people sure. just vote vote on the name. Yep. Well, That's yeah, true. once they you're do. in, you're in pretty much anyway. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm not going dis- to disagree with you that at, at some point in time, uh, congressmen, senators do reach a, uh, a point where having somebody younger, we'll say more vigorous and with some new ideas, mm-hmm. uh, should come to the fore. So, Josh, um, I've, I've heard you over the years, but um, I know you get asked this a lot, but, but how did you get started in, in investing? I had a tyrant as a father. I see. <laughs> so connect no, those dots my, my for my father. You. My father. Uh, my father, when I was uh, much much younger, said, "You need money. You want money. Mm-hmm. You got to go work." Well, Once I started working, uh, he said, uh, two places you you put that money, mm-hmm. uh, other than spending it, you put the money in a in the bank." Sure. And, uh, build up a, a savings, and you also invest invest the money. Mm-hmm. And as a, I'll say, as a high schooler, um, he suggested that you put money first in a mutual fund. That's good so advice. So I started investing in, in mutual funds. This is like when you were 15 or something? Uh, I was probably, yeah, probably 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Which was in another era altogether. I imagine. Um, so one of the funds that, uh, and back at that point, there were not a lot of mutual funds available. So one yeah. of the funds that I invested in was the Dreyfus Fund, which was a combination sure. growth and income fund at that time. Mm-hmm. That invested in large companies. And the other fund was called the Manhattan Fund, which invested in small, fast-growing Companies and they built the atomic bomb, right? Have no idea. No, well, the man, that's the Manhattan Project. Oh yes, but of course. Yes, I got confused. You were probably out watching a movie. You're you probably were watching the movie Oppenheimer. Well, I would have been. Yes. <laughs> so you were so, probably in so watching the movie Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. But the, the Manhattan Fund in the uh, in the late '60s yeah. would be the equivalent of the Arc uh, Arc funds today run by uh, Kathy Wood. That fund, the uh, mm-hmm. Manhattan Fund, was run by a guy named Jerry Zai, mm-hmm. who was a very hot hand for a period of time. And the fund did extremely well and then not so well. So uh, tell me about your dad. I'm curious. Was he a, was he a good investor? Was he sagacious? My dad, my dad was um, a very careful investor. Well, my dad was an engineer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Careful was, and, I think, for, for um, you know, your your dad probably, what, what year was he born? He was probably born in my dad. My dad was born maybe. in ni- 1927. Yeah. Well, Little, uh, yeah. same year as my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, around the same know. time as, as my dad. And, of course, you know, we're talking about the greatest generation there. And they, I, I think they tended to be pretty cautious. They, they uh, most of them... Most of them, uh, mm-hmm. after all, they, they grew up during the Depression, the Great Depression. And so, um, you know, I think that made them cautious. Then I, was your dad, did, was he in World War II? My dad um, was drafted towards the end, end of World War II. Uh-huh. He did not serve overseas. Yeah, same Lucky with him. my dad. Same with my dad. My dad, my dad um, was, uh, he was, he was in Army intelligence because they figured – 
At 112 pounds, he probably wasn't going to do well on the front lines or be a paratrooper or anything. So, so they just uh, taught him to speak Japanese, and uh, and he, uh, but you know, he, my dad actually ate bananas, gorged on bananas for weeks so that he could make the weight at 112. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's a little different than maybe maybe our generation who probably put just as much energy into not going into. Mm-hmm. serving in, uh, during Vietnam, because most of us didn't think that was a great thing. So things changed. But uh, the one thing that didn't change is our, our dads tended to be, I, I think at least, I don't, and you've indicated probably, your dad, they, were, they were very cautious. They didn't, except for the fact that my dad was wary of any kind of investment. My dad was not wary of any kind of investment. Yeah, well, that's uh, good. But he was, um, and I'm not going to say he was overly cautious, but he did a lot of, Analysis. Yeah, well, he was uh, an his portfolio. Yeah, his portfolio was mm-hmm. was pretty pretty broad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he taught you the business, and no, he did not teach me the well, business. He but he you, taught me he taught the, the importance of both saving and investing. I guess. Well, that's kind of what I was interest, going at. The interest in, you know, I'll say in coming into investing, uh, you know, might have sparked from one of my college college roommates mm-hmm. who came from a. Um, uh, a family that that owned a small family business in the Pocono Mountains, mm. uh, manufacturing a small manufacturing business that manufactured colonial reproduction furniture. Uh, and the business uh, uh, was recently uh, closed down because people are not buying high quality, yeah. um, high quality, we'll say, custom made. Colonial reproduction furniture. You know, I've I've known over the years, I've known a a, a few furniture salesmen. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about, but they all, but they basically worked for a family business. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the guys I knew were some of the 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 most um, let's just say enthusiastic uh, gamblers that, <laughs> that I've ever known. And uh, some of these guys, they wind up meeting each other in you know in, in support groups. <laughs> but so they're not great investors typically. It's uh, but well, it's just an interesting my, fact. Yeah, my my roommate um, did have a stockbroker who would who would call him peri- periodically. Yeah, and I happened to overhear you know one of the conversations. I said that sounds very interesting mm-hmm. as a as a profession. Yeah, trying to find uh, companies or f- find ideas that have the ability to make some money. Mm-hmm. So that was... Where'd you go to college? I went to Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a small liberal oh, arts college. In the Amish communities there. In the Amish, Amish community. Talk about conservative. <laughs> they went a little too... They go a little farther than most... Certainly than my dad, even, I'd have to say. <laughs> well, uh, I'll say F&M is, is not known as a, a conservative yeah. uh, hotspot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I got a tremendous, tremendous education there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you, what'd you yeah. study, economics? No, I, st- I actually studied, uh, I was a hist- history major. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, I'll say, a, uh, I took a lot of business courses, again, through mm-hmm. one of my uh, roommates who was a, a business major. Mm-hmm. And he said, you've got to take courses from this one professor yeah. Uh, Richard, Richard Norman, who was had a Ph.D. in accounting, 
and he was he had worked for General Electric. My dad had worked for General Electric, mm-hmm. and I ended up in. Uh, I'll say one of the things you can do at a small college, I'm guessing you can do this at a large college, is before you take a course, you can go meet with the professor. So I happened to spend some time meeting with uh, Dr. Norman, and he said, no, you don't want to take any of my classes. We're going to put together an independent study plan. So I ended up with three independent study projects with Richard Norman, and then one ended up taking one Uh, management class, which was taught at night, uh, primarily to um, people uh, working for Armstrong, Cork, and other industries that were in Lancaster. Well, you know, the thing about working for General Electric is, I hope he didn't invest in their stock. At what point? Well, right. It, it's at what always point? At if you well, were, the last if you 20 invest, years, let's say. In the last 20 years, General Electric stock has been horrible. Yeah, uh, that's during, what I was thinking about. During the, uh, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, General Electric was a tremendous stock to, to invest sure. in, and pr- particularly um, uh, uh, during one period of time where General Electric would consistently uh, beat beat the oh, analyst yeah. estimates just by a little, and well, the stock would move up. That's the uh, whole now, point of it. You know, that's, that's what businesses, smart yeah. businesses do. They figure out a way to, to keep upping the dividend, and, uh, and they hold a little money back sometimes so they can use it the next time around, report it the next time around when they, need, they might need a little money. It's, it's, the, it's the tuck method. Well, I'm not so sure about the tuck method, but I do know that General Electric stock mm. fell on extremely hard times. Yeah. It was a horrible, horrible investment until recently. Well, they bought under, weird things, too, didn't they? They bought a lot of weird things, but at this point in time, General Electric has been selling off yeah. or had sold off most of their assets. They ended up with three three divisions under under new management several several years ago. They spun off... And they announced they were going to break into three separate uh, divisions. Uh, They have spun off one, General Electric Healthcare, Mm -hmm. which uh, manufactures all the imaging machines. Oh, right. And that that has been a huge winner uh, since. Uh, The two remaining divisions that that operate their uh, power... Power companies, and we'll call it the uh, the next division, which is uh, primarily associated with aerospace. Mm. So they have the power division, which uh, will manufacture all the uh, windmills and and turbine engines, and also does the uh, uh, diesel diesel uh, um, engines for trains, oh, which yeah. are which are big, big business, and then aircraft or aerospace uh, manufactures all the jet engines uh, and uh, products to, I'll say, put people people and things up in space. It's a crowded crowded sector these days. I'm I'm not so sure. My dad happened to work for, we'll say, the aerospace uh, division or the um, he ran a plant in Philadelphia that mm-hmm. manufactured uh, parts for re-entry systems, so which were part of the 
Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo program. And then he moved to, uh, at the end of his career there, General Electric was manufacturing, uh, we'll call it manufactured housing. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, manufactured which, housing. Which they um, would manufacture parts, entire walls of a house, mm -hmm. which would include everything, and they could be assembled just like Legos. Right. Uh, yep. On on site, so a lot of those a lot of those manufactured houses are kind of like what most people would consider to be like you know trailer park houses that kind of thing. But that's just one part of it. That obviously. was that's that's one one part of it uh, of manufactured houses. This this was a a, li a lot different. It was yeah. almost like a kit house. Right. Yeah. Um, a little little more than uh, there was a little company called Sears. Who has since gone bankrupt? Yeah, it's too bad. But Sears um, sold um, sold houses, yeah. and they would <laughs> ship all the, the entire everything to you, and then you could hire a builder and, and put that together. So could, would would that be included in the catalog? Could you just that be in the that be in the catalog a long time ago? Yeah, yeah. So so you start out and. Um, and uh, you're, uh, you get into the investment business, which you've been in a long time now, right? I've been in the investment business, Mike, um, since 1978, which is probably as long as you've been betting on horses. Uh, well, almost. <laughs> I, yeah, almost. I, I, I made my, my, first, my first bet uh, when I was five years old. Uh, so that would have been about 1955. And my, uh, my, uncle, uh, my uncle Max... Uh, decide. No, I'm sorry. It was my uncle Sol. Solly decided we were watching the Friday night fights. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the Gillette Friday night fights. And my grandmother's house. She had a like an eight inch Philco, and black and white, obviously. And uh, so the the fights. You were, you, your family came from a rich family that had had a TV then. Well, it was my grandmother. She had the TV. Okay, well, we, it's, no, still, my, it's still a rich family. My parents did not have a TV. Not 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 quite. But around that time, yeah. Around that time, but yeah, my, my grandmother, she, uh, my grandmother and her family uh, owned the, uh, or at least worked at the National Beauty Supply mm -hmm. on Sixth and Hennepin, so that was kind of a family business, and so uh, the fights came on, and uh, my uncle Sal, who was a fight promoter himself, said, uh, "So what do you say we make a little bet here?" And I said, "Oh yeah, it sounds good." And he said, "You got a penny?" And I reached into my pocket, you know, and there was a lot of lint and used chewing gum and stuff. And I found a penny. And I said, yeah. He said, he said, all right, I'll hold it. And he said, who do you like? And I, I, not being an idiot, I pointed to the black guy. And he said, no, I got him. You got the other guy. So my guy, who wasn't my guy but turned out to be my guy, was dropped about, I'd say, about 30 seconds into the first round. Mm-hmm. Never, and I, he didn't give me the penny back. Uh, it was, uh, you know, he, he was teaching me a lesson, I think, which was that I guess he felt he needed the penny more than I did. Well, after all, a penny in those days was like worth 20 cents today, so, you know, it's real money. Mm -hmm. Well, when you talk about gum, you could put the, a penny into a, to a machine, slide the thing over, and yep. you, you'd, get, you'd get one or, or two little gumballs. Absolutely. So, uh, as I always tell people, so I've been trying to get the penny back ever since, uh, betting more and more money, and uh, yeah, so right around that time, yeah, it was was when I kind of I, now horse racing was different. 
I didn't get into horse racing until, well, I was living in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just gotten out of college. I was living in Chicago. It would have been about 1972. Okay, where were you, where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to the U. U okay. Yeah. And then you moved down to Chicago? Yeah, I went to work for the Wall Street Journal in Chicago. And, okay, uh, as a writer? Uh, yeah, a writer, a journalist, yeah. And uh, What did you write about? Uh, well, when you, I wrote about half the time I wrote about business. I covered various businesses, and the other half the time I did feature stories. Okay. So it was very slow. It was a very slow thing, way too slow for a kid, uh, which I kind of was. And mm-hmm. uh, but, but I discovered Arlington Park. Okay. Because I had a lot of free time on my hands, and I didn't know anybody. So I started going to Arlington Park, and I learned a little bit about horse racing. I learned how to lose with dignity, basically. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I kind of I came back here, and so uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really get into horse racing again until, what was it, 1985, when the track came in. So mm-hmm. then I got back into horse racing. And, but that, this, that time I got serious about it. I saw that as a future and um, and the, hor- I, the horse racing or the or the future as as a betting or a handicapper all of it yeah yeah all of it and uh what happened was i um i my brother and i put out a a, a newsletter mm-hmm. a horse racing newsletter and uh it did pretty well and um so um then uh that that was the that was like the the first year of canterbury now the second year uh, before the season started, I got a call from the guy who uh, was the manager of the Canterbury Inn. And okay. that, of course, the, the, the hotel, motel, whatever you call it, right down the street from Canterbury Park. And he said, uh, he said I want you to, uh, I, I wonder if you'd be willing to uh, do a handicapping show every day here. And I said, well, it sounds interesting. He said, uh, he said I'll tell you what, he said, uh, uh, I got Dark Star doing it now. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm paying him 50 bucks. I'll pay you 100 He said, because uh, as I understand, you're not a drinker. I said, that's right. <laughs> he said, well, good, because he's drinking me right out of business. And uh, he and his friends, he'd say, they come by, you know, and they got free booze, and, and it's killing me. So just, you know, he said, you can have, like, all the free coffee and soda you want. I said, yeah, it's fine. That's all I want, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I got into the, the, the professional handicapping business, although I had already dabbled in, uh, in football, too, because I knew a guy, I still know him, a good friend of mine, who, um, who had a sports information service, if you remember those. I do. Sure. So they would, you know, so those are guys you'd pay them eh, maybe 100 150 bucks a week, and they'd give you, like, their three best college and pro picks. And then if they didn't go well, then they'd give you another, another week free. It's kind of the way it would work. And, uh, of course, once they were start, if a guy gave you too many weeks free, it meant that you were probably losing twice as much money actually betting. So it was not a good deal either way. But my friend was pretty good. And so he started putting out a newsletter. And I, I did all the write-ups for the, for the NFL game. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how I got into the business of being a, I, I don't like to say a tout, but let's just say a public handicapper. I, 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 I like that because it's, I've heard you, you know, with, with uh, Tom for a very long period of time. Yeah. So when uh, Tom asked me to, to do this on Thursday as opposed to Friday, and he said, oh, you You'll have a great time with Mike Gelfand. I said, oh, this is very exciting. I get to talk to one of the better handicappers. 
yeah, thank uh, you. in the in the Twin City and maybe in the country. And I get to talk to uh, one of the better investors, so it <laughs> works out. So what I so should we can pat each other on the back. But <laughs> when I hit a pick six, I should have just come over to you and put some of it into uh, whatever whatever you recommended. So it so, might it might it might have might have helped you. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. So you've survived a long time as a, basically like a professional handicapper in investing, right? Correct. So um, you got to do pretty well to do that because re- reputations, good and bad, spread pretty quickly. We've done. We've done. Uh, we've had more good years than bad years, mm-hmm. but of course. Um, have to give in the the, the, the normal uh, caveat, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future <laughs> of future results. People uh, who bought GE stock know that. Uh, markets are always always changing. There's yeah. tremendous vol- volatility. Uh, anything that we say on this this show is for entertainment purposes well, only, only right, uh, and does not constitute <laughs> investment advice, nor are anything that we talk about in the way of investing suitable uh, or may not be suitable for you. So please mm-hmm. consult uh, an investment advisor before you uh, invest. So, you know, uh, How do you like that? In, That's the whole... In your business, you have to say that. Now, as, as, a, uh, as a public handicapper at the track, I, of course, I encourage people to wager a lot of money. Well, and really not a lot because I don't even bet much anymore. More than, more than $2 a race? Well, is that is, yeah. is it still two dollars? You can still uh, make a, a two dollar bet, 
hey, you could spend 50 cents on a trifecta if you wanted. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. going to hit it, but you could spend just 50 cents or you could spend $50 betting a trifecta. You could spend as much as you want. I, I, I play, you know, I bet trifectas occasionally, exactas, pick fours, anything at all that looks promising. But just not, you know, like, like I, I, might, I might bet sitting at home at my computer, I might bet 100, 150 bucks a day in mm-hmm. a day. But, you know, and it sounds like a lot, but at the end of the year, of course, it's basically nothing because the money comes and goes. And, and at the end of the year, I'm maybe up 1000 or I'm down 1000 If I'm down 1000 I consider it entertainment well spent. Any now, more than that, I get worried. When you're, when you're betting, are you primarily sticking with, uh, uh, we'll say, with the horses? Or are you mm-hmm. moving to football, baseball, golf? Yeah. Um, Professional wrestling. Well, if, if there was money to be made, but actually, um, it's almost all horse racing for me. Okay. Um, football. Uh, I find that I can have as as much fun for almost no money just doing a fantasy football team with my kids. Mm-hmm. So that's how I deal with football. Yeah, I, I'll bet a few football games, but not very many. For years, I bet almost exclusively over unders mm-hmm. and made a lot of money. But unfortunately, eventually, the, the guys out there in that desert figured out how to set a better line. Because mm-hmm. originally, the over-unders, the, they weren't great lines. And I could just bet San Diego over mm-hmm. during the Air Coriel days. Right. And, uh, you know, that was a winner most of the time. So it's hard to get any one, one team now that you can just say, oh, I'm going to bet that team over again. The, the, line, the line moves. It doesn't move as quickly as it should, but it moves pretty quickly. I also know a lot about Vegas because um, I, I, uh, I had a, a cousin, a third cousin, who was, who was in the mob. So he taught me a lot about, uh, about <laughs> betting in Las Vegas. And uh, it, the main rule about betting in Las Vegas is try to win but not too much. Because you could wind up in the desert somewhere. Um, not so much anymore. But there was a time, you know, when, when it was a, a little bit dangerous. So what about you, Don? Do you, do you bet on football? I do not bet on football other than maybe with my kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll say my, I'll say my, my, I'll say my rooting for, for any team. Exactly. Which is is very minimal. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia. Yeah, same so I still here, like yeah. the Eagles. I I still like the the Vikings. Um, but after, we'll say, um, after I think it was 1998, there was a uh, a Vikings team that lost to Atlanta. Oh, yeah. okay, painful. And, <laughs> and at the end of that, and it was an overtime. But at the end of the game, I'm looking at the looking at the field, and I'm saying, Vikings can win this. They've got they've got some they've got some horses down on the down on the field. Yeah, yeah. They've got their timeouts. Mm-hmm. They don't have to go too far to kick a field goal. Right. And the coach at the time tells the quarterback, Randall Cunningham formerly with the uh, Eagles, probably one of the best athletes oh, tremendous. Of, of, uh, of, his, of his time, take a knee, and we'll go come back in overtime. Mm. And, excuse me. <coughs> I thought you were tearing up uh, just at the memory. <laughs> I could be tearing up at the memory because I probably had some money on that, that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. 
And I said, and I said uh, to my wife, I said, the fix is in. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. And after that game, it was like, nope, not going to be betting on football. Um, you and Tom, again. both. You and Tom both. Uh, both have suspicions about that, and of course, that's what I, I chuckle when I hear that because, you know, so many, so many, so many gamblers, you know, are convinced the fix was in, and you can't, of course, you can't, you it's, can't. It's a, it's a, it's a game. But my, my sense was, yeah, you, when you have that many, um, I'll say, scoring options, mm. with the amount of time that was on the clock, yeah, with the number of timeouts. And again, I'm not a, a football coach, not a football player. I'm a football watcher. And we are starting uh, tonight uh, with the college football season. And yeah, I think this weekend right. with the NFL season starts. And I bring this up, you know, we'll say, segue into, since we're talking about Las Vegas and sports, sports mm-hmm. lines, uh, I do have and I've recommended investing in Casino stocks, which is something I've done for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll say horse racing-related uh, stocks, mm. which I've done since uh, my fascination with horse racing dating back to Garden State Racetrack in oh, Cherry sure. Hill. Yep, New Jersey, but, yeah. Um, and I've just found no matter what is happening in the economy— People will uh, either go to Las Vegas, go to the track to watch horses, and and or gamble. Yeah, it's it's a shame about this. horse racing because it's yeah. a dying sport now. Uh, and we'll gamble both for entertainment, but they but for what they think is for profit. Well, yeah, and of course, so many racetracks now have casinos. Mm-hmm. So that's it's in that sense, horse racing is is kind of a you know, it's it's kind of on a respirator. It's the it's the it's the slot machine respirator, but it can't mm. save horse racing. But it uh, certainly helps the facilities. Uh, I, I hate to say racetracks, but the facilities that have both slot machines and and horses that are increasingly not watched running. Mm-hmm. It's a shame because I love horse racing. When, I mean, what I think would you say the average age at the track is these days? Oh, I'd say it's probably, uh, probably um, maybe, maybe uh, mid fifties. I'd say. I don't think there. I don't think there are that many new new tracks. Maybe no, no. Uh, There's no business. Oh, they're not building Revi- tracks anymore. No. Revitalized tracks. Yeah. Uh, more than more than anything else. Well, right, and and of course, if you if you go to a, a typical racetrack, that. 20 years ago would have eight or nine horses in, in a typical field. Now they've got five or six. Mm-hmm. So they can't survive. That's Canterbury, basically. And unfortunately, I love Canterbury. Worked there for 25 years, and it was always fun. But unfortunately, that's, that's where they're at now. So they're not going to – and they were, they were getting money, of course, from, from the uh, casino, from mm-hmm. Mystic Lake, a, a deal where they wouldn't go – they wouldn't try to get slot machines, which they would have – had to go to the legislature for, and uh, and in, in return they'd get money from from the reservation. So, but that deal is is over now. So I don't know how Canterbury is going to survive. But yeah, racetracks it's it's a sad thing. I mean, even the Saratoga meeting, which is going on now, mm-hmm. where purses are typically like a hundred and fifty thousand, Canterbury they might be you know fifteen thousand. 
even they can't even have full fields anymore. So if they can't have full fields, I don't know who can. So it, it is kind of sad. So, but but gambling, gambling, gambling versus uh, investing in stocks. Um, obviously, investing in stocks is is a much better way to go. <laughs> but but I've known a lot of uh, known a lot of aggressive investors who also just they got to bet on sports if for some reason they you know because I, I guess because it's like bet it's like buying stocks except that instead of looking at the quotes every day usually not changing much you got mm-hmm. instant action well, there's there's tremendous amount of action uh, and I'll say not only do the casinos uh, have added sports books mm-hmm. and oh yeah and when the sports books I'll say when you you'd go I'll say one of the first times I went to Las Vegas and I saw the sports book, very small area. Yes, I remember, yeah. And then the sports book started getting big, and probably the biggest sports book I remember early on was at uh, at Caesars. I mean, well, they had this massive, massive room. And they still do. It's bigger now. I mean, which is, I don't, I, I'm, my eyesight is not that good to follow all the games that they have oh, it's, in that in that room. It's dizzying, yeah. Well, we used to, of course, the morning show, we would go to Vegas every year along with listeners. And so the last time that we went, uh, I spent a lot of time in Caesars. Um, and now, of course, it's the sports books are a lot more fun because a lot of them have either don't have, allow any smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they all are pretty much non-smoking now. I don't know. But back in the day, of course, it would just be this, this sort of bluish-gray haze over the room. And it was uh, you, you left there hacking and coughing and spitting. It was horrible. And, but it was fun. You'd always see, of course, if you hung around long enough, like you'd see, say, uh, football coaches in mm-hmm. there. You know, and they, they, football coaches and baseball managers, baseball players always used to love horse racing. They always used mm-hmm. to love betting on horses. But uh, I suppose that's now they're probably more, more inclined to be reading the Wall Street Journal or Forbes uh, and, uh, and investing in, in stocks. Well, I... I do do invest in, in stocks and some of the stocks that I, I invest in because the focus that I've I've had and maybe that has contributed to um, longer term success mm-hmm. is having focus on certain areas of, of the market and leaving other areas where I don't f- feel that I can add value. It's you know alone. What? it's just like betting on sports. You got to have a niche. So, you got to have something that you're really good at and just let everything else go. So one has been Internet-related companies, which have done very well oh, for yeah. a long, long period of time. Uh, leisure-related businesses, which is something I found when I was in graduate school, that regardless of what is going on in the economy, people will spend money, as I've said before, on leisure pursuits, mm-hmm. which would include... Um, going to the track or going to Vegas um, or buying running shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, China-related businesses without necessarily having to invest in China because that's that area of the world. Uh, very volatile. Is, no, just a lot of people there. Well, that's, that's true. But, um, and, but yes, that, that area is, uh, is volatile, but that came as a result of one of the fastest growing parts of the 
uh, world in terms of economy was used to be called the tiger countries. Mm -hmm. So that would be Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand, mm -hmm. uh, and Korea. Ah. And it just grew tremendously, yeah. tremendous amount of oh yeah, exponentially um, yeah. of growth there. And then, so that would that's where the China came from. And then the last would be real assets, whether it be real estate related uh, companies, mm -hmm. and then taking a portion of money and using that for very short-term uh, trading. Uh, so making, we'll say, small bets on something that might be considered, um, we'll say, interesting or hot for a short period of time. Right now, the hot, the hot topic is artificial intelligence and any company that's associated with that oh, yeah. uh, in the last several months is mm -hmm. zoomed up. Every company's got to have their own AI. Yeah. So they might zoom zoom back down unless they're, you know, a major, major company like a, a Microsoft, an Amazon, a Google, uh, or my favorite app, Apple, uh, which will utilize that, or Meta, mm -hmm. also known as, known as Facebook. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't see the day when artificial intelligence will ever surpass real ignorance, but uh, but they may be running neck and neck. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, some of the things this AI does. It's like uh, no human could ever come up with that, even if they tried. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, as as a writer, uh, I I can tell you that I'm, and I have friends who are very good writers. They don't need to worry. No, no. Artificial intelligence can't replace a, a, a very good writer. But It'll be a while until they can even try. They can, however, right. replace bad writers, and a yes, lot of well, bad writers right. are very upset about this. I, I was going to say that. It's popping up more and more in uh, college exams, mm -hmm. for example. Oh, yeah. And well, the, the amount of horsepower that's needed to power uh, the machines yep. to, to deal with, mm. uh, we'll say, generative... Artificial intelligence is un, unreal. Well, once the AI has been trained, you can put it on any. You can put it on a laptop, no problem. Yeah. The training process requires absurd amounts of data, billions of exabytes, as far as I know. Supercomputers that only mega corporations could possibly afford. It's all the condensing the data into an AI that's the real hard part. Ah, and that that just requires, and that's where I call a lot of storage. Mm -hmm. So that that we can e even use as a theme is data storage. Yep, data so storage is a big deal right now. It's a well, that's one reason AI is becoming a thing is because data storage has become quite cheap actually mm -hmm. compared to even ten years ago. Well, it's it's. But I'm sure you remember in the '80s, ten megabyte hard drive was probably a thousand dollars. Well, when I talk about uh, you know storage, I'm talking, and it is a commodity pro product. I'm talking about now. Now everything's stored on the quote-unquote cloud, which is just a fancy name for someone else's computer. Correct. Mm -hmm. So the the major cloud players, or even Amazon. Well, Am Amazon Google, has a yeah. huge, huge market, yes, and Amazon's do. web services. AWS, yeah. AWS is uh, more than. That's about twice the size, revenue-wise, of Microsoft's Azure. I think AWS yeah. by itself would be in the top 50 of all companies. 
Correct. So, yeah, it's rather big. It does come in handy knowing that basically anything you've ever written is up there. On the other hand, yep. it doesn't make me feel great to know that other people could access that. Now, luckily, I don't have anything especially personal in any of that, but I'm, I'm still writing things down, you know, that are that are really personal. But, uh, but if the, somebody accesses your old... Um, materials, they're mm -hmm. probably looking for, for some type of research, no right. different than going to the library. Yeah. If you've released it publicly, yeah, it's... But I think he's talking about, like, you know, you'll uh, send emails to someone, and that email is saved in Google's servers. So theoretically, anyone yeah. who got access to those servers could download this data. Yeah. And that is I'm true. Not, I'm not really sure that anybody wants to read well, my no, emails I don't or think... Mike's emails or, or your emails. No. My no. emails are rather boring. But yeah. But on the other hand, you know, when I think about running for office, I think twice about some of those love letters I may have written 30 years ago, which are probably in the cloud somewhere, you know, so well, maybe not 30 years ago. Well, you, come you, to think you, of it, I haven't loved love anyone love in the last decade. 30 years ago, only on the computer? You didn't handwrite them? or 1993, or them that's, yeah, he's yeah. ahead of the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> see, I, I gravitated to the computer very easily, One one reason being that typewriters uh, are horrible well my handwriting it cannot oh. be deciphered yeah mine too when i was in when i was in high school and we had to take a, a like a final test the the teachers would would allow me to go into their office so i could type it out because mm -hmm. there was no way they me could too. read yep, anything me too. yeah so yeah i did a handwritten exam once and i accidentally summoned a demon <laughs> <laughs> that's about uh, that's about what it was like for me yeah mm. And sometimes people, a uh, teacher would say, well, I gave you an A. I couldn't actually read what you wrote, but I know it was good. So. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> you got a good track you, record. You, you, had, you had very, very good teachers. I got downgraded. Miss Reed said, uh, I, your handwriting is too small. Huh. I can't read it. It's not small. It's information dense. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. No, I, I just... Uh, Small motor skills, not my, not my thing, you no, know. No, me either. So typing, however, um, you could call that a small motor skill, but I could always, you know, from high school on, I could type easily, easily 100 words a minute. Oh, so, yeah, no problem. So, That's you know, tremendous. well, and, and I loved, of course, I, the, the typewriter was, of course, the greatest thing that ever happened to me as a, as a fledgling writer. You made mm -hmm. your fingers really strong, too. Oh, yeah. Having to slam those keys. Well, uh, yeah, except for the fact I do have some arthritis in those fingers now. Mm. So, but yeah, it took like 50 years. It's for a give it to and happen. take. Yeah, right. Exactly. Everything is. Yep. And so it's not so bad, but um, but it is. You know, it, it. I think I think a lot of people are finding out that there's stuff in the cloud they never dreamed was in there. If you've put it on the internet, it is in the cloud somewhere. Someone's computer has that in there, and that's why it's very important to anonymize things that you don't want traced back to you. Yeah. And not put things up there in the first place if they're just not a good idea in general. Well, right. And, and all those people who uh, may have uh, attended a blackface fraternity party 20 years ago, now we'll kind of have to think twice about that. It's out there. And uh, so, so let me ask you another question, which okay. I've, kind of been, I've kind of been thinking about, and, I, and I, maybe we have not explicated this matter. And that is, so do you spend more time... Uh, advising people, or do you spend more time, you know, looking for stocks to buy? And I realize the process isn't much different. Well, I, I would say it's 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 an equal amount of time spent mm -hmm. advising and then 
doing uh, what I call research on on companies. Mm -hmm. So I I spend a lot of time um, reading. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Reading and research. And as time has gone on, I'm spending more and more time uh, doing doing the research. And there's more research available Mm -hmm. thanks to the thanks to the internet. and then you have to decipher: Does this is is this true or not? And on top of that, because you have um, such things as social media, mm-hmm. uh, you have we'll call it influencers, mm-hmm. uh, also some known as as analysts, buy side analysts, sell side analysts, and then others. Mm-hmm. Who you don't know their their background, who are trying to influence or provide information or disinformation mm. uh, on particular companies that might uh, move move the stock up or down, and it's uh, the disinformation uh, campaigns are are done more on smaller smaller companies uh, that have limited amounts of uh, share avail- availability. Do you, do you feel, obviously you're a careful investor, has there ever been a time when you felt like some disinformation or misinformation, uh, kind of you, something that may have led you astray? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, there, was, there was a period of time in the, definitely in the 1990s, uh, just after, um, I'll say, when all these, um, we'll call them stock boards, came came up. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, you know, internet-related stock boards. And this would have been in the late, late 90s when people were trying to push up uh, right. certain certain new companies that were the in the internet or trash them so they could short them right and it's like well wait a minute that doesn't make make a lot of sense mm-hmm. or this is non nonsense uh, and and that that was one of those things where you know what if if you have a company that's based on we'll say clicks mm-hmm. that was their they had no uh, no of course Little or no revenue, they had an idea, and it was based on clicks. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those those companies, their stock would zoom up. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then if you called the company, it couldn't get an answer because there probably wasn't anybody at the other end. You know, it's kind of like looking at the point spread where a team opens up, like, you know, let's say the Vikings – open up at one and a half, so they're mm-hmm. favored by one and a half. And like uh, two days later, it's probably, it's two and a half. And now you're really confused because you don't know if it's smart money or stupid money that's mm-hmm. moving the line. And sometimes it can be virtually impossible to decipher that. So I mean, I've, I've seen that with, with stocks today, bank, bankrupt companies that all of a sudden are worth hundreds of, of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that makes no sense whatsoever, and if uh, I think they were called Mimi stocks uh, recently. What was was that? Mimi stocks or Mem stocks. So oh. they, you took a bankrupt company like um, uh, 
AMC mm-hmm. um, or GameStop. Right. Or Sears. Um, I never saw Sears bounce, bounce up like bankrupt, that. But, but yeah, they didn't But these are, these are just recent things that all of a sudden the stocks just mm-hmm. take off. It's like that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And it's all bid up on, you know, some chat board or uh, social media site mm-hmm. talking about, oh, we're – you got to you got to jump on this stock because we're out to get the shorts. Yeah. So some professional investor is looking that uh, GameStop would go out of business based on the fundamentals of of the company. Yeah, uh, and they had a big and a short position is where an investor goes out and uh, borrows shares uh, today. In the hopes of right. re- repurchasing those shares at a lower lower price to make money. Yeah, it's not exactly. Uh, I've never been a short a short seller uh, in that that sense, but there are people that that do that based on whether a stock they feel is too high mm-hmm. uh, and will come down in value. Well, around um, around the around say the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, I there were there were a lot of people who were jumping over any kind of any kind of internet related stock mm-hmm. they could get and I mean I had I had I, I, I knew a few people who uh, got in right you know right on time in these in these stocks and they would ride that stock from like 30 bucks to 130 mm-hmm. and then of course they'd ride them right back down to 30 <laughs> and say oh no I gotta wait I gotta wait I don't want to take any short term uh, you know uh, I don't want to take a short term gain yeah they don't I want had that. My, my father-in-law did that with a with a few companies and I said that makes no sense no no it's if it's, you had a profit cash it you got the profit right exactly take yeah. Take the money. That's Most where of these- greed comes in. You need to know a guy for your auto repairs, legal issues, banking, and more. The same goes for investment advice. You need a guy to help you be successful, someone you can trust who gets results. Well, I got a guy for you, Josh Arnold. Josh gives you straight talk, not sugar-coated advice about your financial situation. Josh has seen it all when it comes to economic and market conditions, and Josh can make sure that your retirement objectives match your investments. Do yourself a favor and call Josh now for a no-obligation, 48-minute evaluation. You've got nothing to lose, and you'll get a different point of view for your investments. Call Josh at 952-925-5608. That is 952-925-5608. You'll be glad that you did. And tell him his his guy, Tom, sent you. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Tom Bernard is a paid endorser. You know, there are some companies that you can sit on, and uh, yeah. I've done that with, with a few. But they and their stocks during the time that I have owned them have fluctuated a lot, yeah. but I, you, well, know, you can and, see what, yeah. what's happening with the business and over those, time. And those were the days when, you know... The, I mean, I'm just even talking today, uh, but it was true uh, during certain, yeah. we'll call it go-go periods yeah. with some new new technology. And like like when that happens, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a crush. Everyone wants in on the IPO, mm-hmm. right? the initial offer and so you because you know in those periods you know if you can get in at 30 it's going to be 40 a week later 
and and that's the way it goes. But generally speaking, the anything that moves up that quickly, well, you know, it's going to be volatile. And you and that's I mean, like first when I worked at the Wall Street Journal, probably the first I didn't know anything about the stock market. Mm-hmm. Now I now I now I know. Well, come to think of it, almost nothing about the stock market. <laughs> but but I did have the advice of my of my colleagues, and one of the th- the first thing they taught me was never be afraid to take a profit. Yeah. And I think to me that's and now of course I'm at an age now where I'm not I'm not looking you know for a lot for income. I'm just looking for stability. So now now the greed factor is never going to be there. I stopped buying stocks. That that I liked, I'd say probably about a decade ago, and I got a good advisor. You know, someone mm-hmm. probably probably a good a good advisor like you, I'm sure sure are. And you know, I'm not an expert. Why should I be pretend I'm an expert, right? When I when I know someone who is one. If you're well, honest and you're making money, why not? Well, it's, as someone once once told me, an expert is a drip. Under pressure. <laughs> Drip under pressure. Mm, that's yeah. right. Jim well, would like you to explain your 48-minute client interview, whatever that means. What the 48-minute interview is? Yeah. Uh, how I got it or, or why it's or 48 minutes, come to, come to my office. So what happens review, during that, I guess, is what do you What means. happens during that? Yeah. yeah. I will review there. Just you know, describe an indivi- the process. Individuals. Um, I will ad- ask an individual what they want money to do for them. Mm-hmm. I want less where, of it. Where, where? <laughs> so let's say you're talking the, to and, Andy. Now Andy's a he's a young man, according young-ish. to us. Yeah, youngish. And so you got a guy who's. I mean, obviously. Well, it doesn't matter whether whether it's somebody that's young, young like Andy, or old like you and I. Well, it's different. They're coming advi- into my it's different my advice, office. though. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I want to know. I'm going to ask you about your, um, what you're doing, what your goals are for investing, whether you're looking for longer-term growth, uh, you're looking for income or some combination thereof. I'm going to ask where you're currently invested, uh, what kind of risk that you're willing to take. I have a little 1 to 10 risk spectrum, 1 being money in a bank mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or money market account, 5 being the S&P 500 and 10 going to Las Vegas. <laughs> um, not a lot of 10s, I'm guessing. No, not a, not a lot of 10s. Um, so we'll talk about risk, and then I'll ask where where is your money currently invested? And then I'll make, make some recommendations uh, to people on what they might do um, differently, or maybe, maybe they're good the way they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, provide advice, you know, if somebody has money in their 401k and hope or uh, some type of tax-sheltered investment on, a, on again, where I believe uh, they, they should or could invest to get a better, better return. Yeah. I'm not a, as we've said uh, for a long time, we're not bond, bond investors. Uh, bonds are where you're lending money to the government, mm-hmm. uh, to a municipality or a corporation. A bond is going to generate some yield or income paid out twice a year. And the value of the bond is going to go up or down uh, between the time it's issued until the time it comes due. 
based on changes in interest rates and if it's a corporate bond based on the credit worthiness of the of the company so i'm more of a more stock or stock oriented investors right. looking more for growth rather than income and if somebody needed income we can turn around a growth oriented invest investment to generate uh, some income using a concept that i learned from one of my investment heroes john templeton called systematic withdrawal where you sell a portion of your growth either on a monthly or quarterly basis to generate some income and that systematic withdrawal concept to generate uh, or provide income has worked extremely well for a very long period of time probably one of the best pieces of advice i i got from john templeton you know it's too bad my my dad who my dad grew up during the depression and he grew up in tulsa oklahoma unfortunately mm -hmm. um poor guy and uh, so he was. He grew up in the, in the during the Dust Bowl mm -hmm. and the Great Depression, and he didn't trust anyone, including me, with any of his money. And uh, so basically, he had like like when I finally when I finally got a peek, he was in his late 80s at the time, and I finally got a good look at uh, at his investments. Uh, what I, what I learned, and he had an investment advisor. Mm -hmm. What I basically learned was that he had most of his money in uh, in bonds that were well, they were they were they were giving him an interest of about point uh, five percent. Mm -hmm. Like it was basically like putting the money under a mattress. Mm -hmm. And uh, but there was no way, and I, I couldn't reason with him. I couldn't say here's how much money you would have had if you just you know like like he would had you know, twice as much money for sure if he just put it in utilities. Totally safe. But no, no, he, he didn't trust that. Everybody was about to go bankrupt, which, of course, if they had, would have affected him anyway. Correct. So there was, but the point is, there was no logic to be had there. I could not convince him. And like today, if, if I could have convinced him, um, you know, maybe I'd be living in a mansion uh, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, probably, hopefully not in Florida, where uh, or not near the Gulf. The Gulf, anyway. Well, not not today near the, near the Gulf. No, no. Um, so, but you know, there's there's but there are a lot of people. They reach a certain age, maybe, or maybe they grew up at a time like that. You can't you can't convince them of anything, and I'm sure you've known people like that. It's obviously very frustrating. Well, that's. Um, what's that old saying? You you can lead a horse to water, but you can't can get can't the make horse to drink. drink. Yeah. Uh, no, there's not everybody is going to like like what I the advice I'm going to give, mm -hmm. or not everybody is going to want to work with me. There there are plenty of people out there that they're going to find that are that are good. Um, I I am very confident in my ability and have. Um, mm -hmm have been around through a lot of up and down markets. And I plan yeah. to be around for, for a lot longer. Well, as a handicapper at the track or wherever, the one thing people would always say to me was, so if you're so good at this, you know, how come, how come you're giving out advice? Like, you know, you would, why are you doing that? It's costing you money to give out advice. Why don't you just sit back and, and make uh, millions and millions of dollars in, in this case, in, in investing in, at, at the racetrack? Now, obviously, 
there's not that much comparison between the racetrack. Well, there's some. It's gambling of a sort either way. But the fact is that the racetrack, you know, you're paying like 17% juice. So you're not going to win unless you are really good. Whereas with, whereas it's well, there's a certain kind of the same thing with with a lot of investments in the fact that you know there is there is a form of juice that's being taken out there because you know you got you've got all the uh, the CEOs the members of the board who are getting free stocks therefore diluting your investment well it's not they're not getting free free anything i mean that's part of their their compensation and if uh, an executive in a corporate corporation gets a mm-hmm. does get a salary and as part of their their compensation, and it's not just executives; it's down to employees, are offered, um, you know, might might get stock stock options well, we're talking or about restricted op- we're or talking restricted about options stock. We're now the about- options that they're given are exercisable at a certain right. price, right? So and you- those executives or employees still have to pay for that. I mean, they get the here's right. here's the the option. If you want to exercise that option, that money is going to come out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to pay for that uh, either through a bank loan or for, for your own salary. Right. But, the but point. they still have to exercise that. And when that is exercised, that, that could, and I say could, be dilutive yes. to, um, to the shares mm-hmm. in that there are more shares available. Exactly. And that will dilute that. And I but can't, I can't go to, I can't go to a stock, a stockbroker or anybody, and say, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to buy that 3M stock, uh, mm-hmm. but I'd like to buy it at uh, at 28, which is the price it was a year ago, and not the 68 it is today. Now, of course, I think 3M's probably taking a little hit right now, <laughs> but well, that's just as an example. You can always make the offer. Well, I, yeah, you can, hurt. You can make you can make the offer. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to buy uh, 3M, uh, well, 3M is is trading a little over a hundred dollars a share share oh, wow. right now, and it's um, more than a 52-week low, which has yeah. hurt its its position. We'll say in the um, in the S and P 500. But if you want to buy 3M lower. Uh, you can put in a bid, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, good till cancel bid at that price. Number one, number two, you could you could put a buy a uh, buy an option at that at that price or have a strike price. You could um, sell a put, which is a bullish position, right? That you will come up and come up with the money. Um, but this this is all kind of kind of kind of, that, kind of esoteric. It's very complicated. It's esoteric, but the point I'm making is that as as a typical investor paying retail price, um, you're not getting full value. As as I mean, because of all this dilution of the stock. You're you're. What do you mean? You're not getting full value. You're getting full value. The stock here is the stock price. I'm not getting full value if more and more shares are being issued to people who don't, who literally don't have to pay for it. Um, That's, Mike. I just told I, you. I, they I have know what to, you said, but I'm talking about what I'm talking about. What's practical? The, if the I can, options once the uh, the options don't become part of anything until somebody buys them. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, my, again, my brother worked again, for a big company. Again, that's esoteric, but I'm talking about reality here. That is reality. The reality is that they're getting stock that that, that the retail value, let's say, is sixty dollars, and they're getting it for thirty dollars. Any way you look at it, they're they getting still it. Have, they still have. Oh, I they, understand, but that's they but can't the, get. Just stick with me. But the point is where stick they come out. Me. Where they come out. Time out. Here's where they got the stock when they went to work for the company. Here, here it is, Mike. You're wor you're working for Canterbury. Canterbury is a publicly traded traded company. Stocks mm -hmm. right now at twenty two dollars. And a by share. the way, that's a very closely held company. Well, we won't get is. into that. If you're but if you're I'm a typical if example. you're an investor, you're there again. It's the same thing. You're not getting what they're getting because they're getting huge amount of money in dividends, and you aren't getting that kind of money. How do you know they're getting dividends? There's, there's a public, it's a publicly held company. Right, closely okay. held. It's, Mostly it's fam public, family and some and some. Uh, there's probably some investment firms that are part of it. It's publicly. It's a publicly traded company. There right. aren't a lot of shares that are available. That's right. Yeah. To be traded. Right. Okay. So all the information about Canterbury Downs uh, is public knowledge. If yeah. the Sampson family owns a lot of shares in the in the stock. Mm -hmm. Um, and the stock pays a dividend because they're majority owners. They're going to collect that that dividend. And in many cases, of course, it depends again on the the class of stock you have. Well, this is the. We're public. talking about that's kind of where we came in with Berkshire Hathaway. You know, most people, you know, most people, it, it's it's just. I mean, there are two I, I'm not going to say it's shares. fixed. I'm not going to say it's no. fixed. Okay, You're, I'm not saying that. I'm sorry, Mike. There are two classes of shares with Berkshire Hathaway. Right. The A, a shares, and B, which right. provide you a vote, a vote at their shareholder meeting. Yeah. So that you have, a, you can influence in some well, way. Well, it doesn't mean anything, right? Warren Buffett is going to Warren do Buffett's or not. Warren Buffett's not going to take your advice right. anyway. Um, there are also the B shares, which were made available, mm. uh, so that more people could participate mm. in Berkshire Hathaway. Right. Uh, I own B shares, not A shares. Right. Um, I'm not interested in the, in the vote, but I want to be in, I want to have shares in this company and take advantage of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's uh, expertise for allocating capital. The marketplace uh, says... And, and by the way, Berkshire Hathaway has not paid any dividends out. Uh, yeah, they, they have. They really almost never have, have they? No, have, they, they have never. Haven't. They have never paid any dividends. Yeah, that's when a Warren, great thing. Warren Buffett gets a, a salary yes. from the company, which has been the same. And whenever he's needed money, he's mm -hmm. sold sold shares. Right. Well, let's let's just take a, a typical corporation, where. Um, where the uh, let's say the the CEO mm -hmm. might might be getting um, might be making say fifteen million dollars a year from stock options. That's his profit from the stock options, right? Only if only if he converts those options. Well, they're all going to convert them if they can buy it at the he, lowest price of the year and then out. sell it immediately for the for the current price. Any employee of of a lot of companies is offered shares in the company or options and they're given as part yeah, of their well, I'm, well, I'm not no, talking I'm just, about that i'm talking about the ceos who are literally making tens of millions of dollars 
on stock that that's just it's sort of like it's like mythical stock because they never actually own it except you know theoretically for the five minutes it takes to then resell it right yeah i mean that but they've they were given the as part of their compensation stock options right they're given stock options sure there's a price to those stock options right so and that price uh is typically based on um the value at the time they sign their their contract right and every year they might be given as part of their their compensation issued new options right at a certain price on a certain date sure and if they choose to exercise that they you know borrow the money to to mm-hmm. buy the options and if the stock is up they're going to take that profit right they have to then repay their loan and then pay taxes on the difference between it's usually a, you know a capital gain mm. uh, on the difference between what the price of the option was and the current current price less whatever they've um, had to pay back right um, to the to the bank mm. yeah I mean I, I think we're I think we're, as I said before, I think we're into kind of a, a thicket of esoteric descriptions here. But the fact of the matter is they have an opportunity that that no one else has. That's because they've worked worked at that company, period. It's because they're, well, I'm talking about the people who are, as I say, like CEOs who have these enormous stock options. I'm not talking about... I mean, you know, if, if I'm working, if I'm working for, well, go back to 3M. If I'm working for 3M, I don't have the opportunity to to I don't, make, I do not make know, tens of millions of dollars in stock. I don't get stock options. I don't know the the level uh, to which 3M executives well, are I don't offered. Either. But it's a typical know, companies. Options. There's a lot of money to be made for, by those CEOs and by other people. But you know, it goes down and down. But the fact is. They get a lot of a lot of money through stock options, and that's why, of course. And they also, to, to me, the CEOs, people running the companies, mm-hmm. you know, are. Um, I'll say there aren't a lot of jobs. There aren't a lot of CEO jobs. No. Uh, the CEOs are are no different uh, than we'll say high high paid athletes. And a lot of CEOs are not there for a long, a long period of time. If they're not performing, mm. they're out the door. Right, with a with a very nice umbrella to go along with it. Okay, um, they, that's their that's their contract. Yeah. See, I mean, if if as an example, mm-hmm. okay, if we'll say Byron Buxton signs a long term contract. Now let's say a hundred million. Okay, and that contract has certain guarantees in it, mm. whether or not he he. Whether or not he he plays, or you know, and if he's he's going to get that that money, mm-hmm. and if he's injured or the team trades him, right, whatever's left on that contract is going to the next team, who's going to have to pay him, or the oh, there may uh, not be a next team, or there might not be a next team. Yeah, so he's still collecting a pretty good amount of money for for not playing. And yeah. it's no no different if an executive leaves. They have their con- here's their compensation. We get fired, and here's your termination pay. And if an employee, you know, an executive at 3M is, you know, leaves, they're 
probably going to get some type of uh, severance package mm-hmm. along with that. And it, and the same is true in, you know, in the, um, we'll say, uh, the public sphere, you know, that a lot of um, public employees uh, and upper executives in the public sphere, when they leave, they have a, a severance package. Yeah. All you have to do is, is look as an example at, um, we'll say the the um, the number of people who have left as being leaders of the, um, not not the teachers unions, but the um, superintendents of schools of both Minneapolis and St. Paul through the last years, or look at the uh, president of the University of Minnesota. Uh, nice when game. they when they've left, they've gotten yep. you know fairly significant uh, salaries uh, and pretty significant uh, severance packages when they've when they've left. Mm-hmm. And I could say the same with with football coaches or yeah. basketball coaches. So it's no Usually. no different the, 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 with that. One, but one of the problems that I see, I think we can close on this, one of the problems I see is that the 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 ratio of what the CEO makes versus what the typical employee makes has expanded exponentially. You know, it's 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 just ballooned right out of control. It used to be, uh, and, you know, we've, we've all seen figures like this, uh, and uh, it, but so you know, typically maybe maybe the CEO made let's say 25 times more than the average employee. Now more, these days it'd be much more likely to be 100 times. Well, part part of the reason for that, mm-hmm. okay, has to do with some. Uh, we'll say con- congressional re- legislation that was passed many years ago relating to CEO pay. So rather than being paid a salary or having that salary go up, mm-hmm. uh, Congress, in their infinite wisdom, many years ago said uh, they need to have, we'll say, a piece of the action and be able to participate either in the profits or nonprofits. So corporations switch from paying higher salaries to paying a lower salary plus um, right. either stock options or restricted and, stock and options. And these are people who don't want a higher salary because a higher salary means higher taxes. Well, you're going to be paying. You can when you, when you, well, cash, in, when you cash in your options, yeah. depending on the time period that they were held, yeah. uh, you're going to either pay ordinary income rates, which is going to be at a higher rate, or capital gains Tax, which is well currently at twenty five percent, and a lot of that's just going to be it's just going to wind up in the form of an inheritance, because a guy who's worth who's worth well, you know, no, a billion you're, you're dollars. You're now talking a different a different thing here. Well, what I'm talking of, about, though, I'm, there is a what reason. What you're talking about is when a when somebody, an executive uh, of a corporation, um, the mayor of a of a, a town, the, the superintendent of the schools, the mm-hmm head football coach at the University of Minnesota are paid extremely well uh, for, you know, for what, for what they do. And that is typically a lot higher yeah. uh, percentage-wise than the lowest paid, paid employee. Um, and it's just gone and, up and up. And, part, and it has partly, gone up and up. But what up you're saying up. is not, it's not like they're being punished because, uh, you know, people, people like... Um, like Jeff Bezos, for example, who pays almost no taxes, 
they they don't want they don't want a big they don't want a lot of income. No, they, he has. They Jeff want, Bezos they want, has they want a salary a lot of, of seventy seventy five thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, and he pays tax on that income at the seventy five thousand. Right, it's functionally when he none. sells yeah. when he sells his stock, mm -hmm. um, which he does on a regular basis to fund his. Um, uh, Blue Origin space program. Right. He pays a capital gains tax uh, yeah. on on those on those shares. He created a tremendous company that's delivered a lot so, of value. Well, yeah, and, 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 and but the point and, is, the point and he's is, he's had those shares for a long time. He pays the tax. He created the value. Period. So he's the money. The money. The money. Let's say the money that you and I would pay on income tax. We we might pay that at a rate of what? Well, let's let's say twenty five percent. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact is that eventually, in many cases, really, it's just it's just inherited. But eventually, that money the the tax will be paid in the form of a long term capital gain, right? Well, you've you've got different levels of tax. You have my yeah, your salary, I'll, 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 which is taxed at one stay rate. Stay with me here. Okay, your stay cap your Gains on the on stock held outside of retirement are taxed at a capital gains right, rate. Right. And now you're going to talk about when Jeff Bezos dies or you die, your beneficiaries right. uh, currently get a stepped-up basis on your assets. Right. Okay? And uh, mm -hmm. as long as they're holding those assets, right. there is no tax that's paid on, that, hmm. on, that, uh, on those dollars. Yeah. At some point... Those assets are going to be sold, and tax will be paid in the future. I, I know one thing: I'd I'd much rather be paid in stock options than in income. I think uh, probably most people would. I think that's why pretty much every CEO does it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So the the point is, you know, ordinary folks don't get the benefits, uh, and uh, don't get the benefits of, of well, CEOs. Just just as an example. So before we go, how do people get a hold of you? They can give me give me a call at the office nine five two nine two five five six zero eight. And uh, when they look for you online, uh, just go to uh, Josh at MrMoneyTalk.com. Of course, how did I not know that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. It was fun. Fun to have. It was it was fun. I'm glad to be in the presence of of greatness. Oh, I feel oh, the wow. same way. Thank you very much. Uh, but what I meant what, by the same way was I meant myself. <laughs> of course. I'm yes. always in the presence yes. of greatness. <laughs> Depends yeah. on how many mirrors are in the room with me. Uh, you know, you, you get a couple brothers together, they're going to argue. That's just the way it works. Mm -hmm. So I had fun. I, I hope you did too. It was a wonderful time. Mm -hmm. All right. See you. I will, do, oh, it, yeah, I we, will uh, do it again. Hope to see you again. I'll see you at the track. We will <laughs> not be on tomorrow. Nor will we be on at all next week. Oh, right. But we will be back on the 11th. Yes, 11th. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I don't know what the morning show schedule is like. I'm not involved in that. But as far as this show goes, nothing till the 11th. Just letting everyone know. We'll see you then. See you then. All right.